This is One Bills Live, presented by Kaleida Health. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the NFL Scouting Combine here in Indianapolis. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker with you, live from the Indianapolis Convention Center in downtown Indy for another week of Underwear Olympics and hearing from GMs and head coaches from around the league. Steve, it's, it, it was entertaining getting in here this morning. I, yeah. You got here last night on the road after a long drive from Buffalo. I right. flew in from Atlanta at the crack of dawn this morning and made it by the skin of my teeth. Uh, but, man, do we have a jam-packed show for everybody. We today. do. We, Holy we, crow. We recorded a bunch of stuff for you guys, our listeners, and um, – we go from this time of year where we're kind of my line is we're sipping tea out of a cup to now we're today we're drinking out of a fire hose here because we got all kinds of people that are on the show and, and everybody's running around here. Um, it really is a tentpole event for the league and we're kind of in the middle of it. So it's been a lot of fun today catching up with all the people around yeah. the country we know and all our guests that we have on the show week to week basis throughout the season and throughout the year. They're all here. So we're saying hi to all of them and all the friends of the show and uh it really is fun, and uh, we haven't even gotten to any of the prospects yet. I mean, those guys are, you know, persona non yeah. grata. This is all about the NFL and all the media guys catching up for a minute. We do have to jump right into the coaching news that was made today with Buffalo's staff and a little bit, I think, of a surprise in terms of the decision made by defensive coordinator Leslie Frazier. He has decided to take a year off from coaching so he will not be coaching on the Bills staff for the 2023 season. And we'll hear from GM Brandon Bean and head coach Sean McDermott about that subject, how that decision was reached, and their plans going forward. But it sounds very much, Steve, like they're very early on in the process as far as who on the defensive staff is going to pick up the slack left behind by their defensive play caller. Yeah, and it... You know they've got some guys, some candidates on the on the uh, current staff, current yeah. staff that have done that and have some experience. Not to mention, by the way, their head coach, who has also been a defensive coordinator and and a very good one. Yeah. Uh, in fact, uh, Ron Rivera, head coach of the Commanders, today was asked about Sean McDermott as a you know as a defensive coordinator. He says he's a really aggressive play caller. Play yeah. caller. So uh, they've got some of that going on. Uh, I don't know. We'll we'll ask Sean McDermott uh, what their plan is going forward, at least in the interim. You know, in the and this just happened today. It was announced today. Certainly, it probably has been in the works for a couple of days before it became public. But we're just going to have to wait and see um, how that evolves. Certainly, I wouldn't anticipate uh, them being without a guy who's the voice in the defensive room. But um, it remains to be seen how that's going to work. Right. And then it was made official. We had seen reports earlier uh, in this offseason that their new receivers coach was going to be Adam Henry. And, in fact, that was confirmed. So the new receivers coach for Buffalo, Adam Henry, replacing the outgoing Chad Hall. And we talked with Coach McDermott, who will be on the show here a little bit later, had a very interesting answer as to what he saw attractive about Adam Henry as a coach, having never worked with him before. So you're going to want to stay tuned to hear the answer on that. Joe Dana, we already knew, was the safeties coach. He's been on board and confirmed as such for about a month now. So some moving parts, Steve. And then Al Holcomb, 
uh, was brought on right. as a senior defensive assistant. He's been a defensive coordinator in this league. So if they decide ultimately, Steve, to not hire a new defensive coordinator and go through that whole interview process, you've got Al Holcomb on the staff who's been a defensive coordinator. You have defensive line right. coach Eric Washington, who has been a defensive coordinator in this league. And you've got John Butler, who has been a defensive coordinator in this league. So there, there are, as we'll hear from Brandon Bean in a little while, plenty of really good minds in the defensive coaching room uh, to pull from, Right. you know, to have the answers that they want to have on a game day. Yeah, and certainly you know they've got enough voices in the room right now to go to go forward uh, it'll depend you know it'll be interesting to see how it takes shape uh if they're going to give somebody the moniker of defensive coordinator or whether they'll just leave it vacant and uh sean mcdermott will be the de facto defensive coordinator or al holcomb or bob babich or you know good on the list um yeah we don't know uh, but for right now, uh, Leslie Frazier, who has guided this Bills defense to a top five rating most of the last, I don't know, five or six years, they've been at, you know, they've been at the top of the league. Yeah. Um, you don't, I mean, as, as, as much criticism as coordinators always take in the NFL, offensive or defensive, depending on how the game went this last week, those guys are hard to replace, uh, including, you know, people, you know, there's always people clamoring for whatever coordinator's job they want, you know. Um, fire this guy. What fire you, yeah, that fire guy. that guy. Fire this guy. He doesn't call the right play. This guy, he's not aggressive, whatever. Well, now here you go. Now you got to find somebody who's as good or better, knowing that the standard is top five or better. Yeah. Uh, just to lay out the show for you today, in about 10, 12 minutes, we'll have GM Brandon Bean on with us, get the updates on those coaching changes and how Coach Frazier came to this decision, along with some of his duties this week, which includes talking to the likes of the reps for Tremaine Edmonds, Jordan Poyer, among the other free agents, and what he thinks of this year's draft class, where there might be some strength and depth position-wise, among other things, so you want to stay tuned for that. Coming up in the second hour of our show from the NFL Network, Daniel Jeremiah, who just released his newest top 50 prospects in the draft over the weekend, uh, or yesterday it was actually. So we'll catch up with him, get his thoughts on the draft class as a whole, where the value might be at the end of round one, where the Bills are picking, as we know. He likes some value at some of Buffalo's need positions, which is certainly good news as far as Brandon Bean and his personnel department are concerned. And then final half hour of the show, right around an hour and 15 minutes from now, we'll have head coach Sean McDermott on with us, who will get into greater depth about the coaching staff additions and Leslie Frazier's decision. Along, you know, we, we dove in, Steve, to some of the nuts and bolts of how they examine what happened in 2022 and what they have to tweak or change or alter to be better in specific areas in 2023 yeah. i know you and i did a whole podcast right on buffalo's third down defense and we found on third and four and third and five against the pass the bills gave up a combined 59 percent conversion rate even though they were still a top 10 third down defense overall that is not up to their standard right so how do they dive into that stuff and change it for the better it was, it was a really interesting conversation yeah, sean McDermott, it'll give you a little bit of comfort knowing 
yeah, his hearing his answer and how they attack it because he does get in. He says, and he doesn't get into specifics of how they do it, but he says, "No, we're all about it. <laughs> we we do it every year, right?" I mean, oh uh, yeah. Uh, he you start. Well, he's to get, a perfectionist. You so get it's a not glimpse. Surprising. Yeah, you get a glimpse of where their mindset is, and it's like, oh, I okay, I'll just let them do that. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's a little bit of that going on. So that's. Um, yeah, it's it is a, a little peek behind the mindset of a peek behind the curtain there for for Bills fans who want to hear Sean McDermott talk about their mindset going into their off season um, evaluations. Brandon Bean also addressed the media at large here, as you often see GMs and coaches do here at the NFL Combine. Just about all of them cycle through over the next two days, and one notable thing that Bean did mention there was that they are not going to use the franchise tag. I don't think that's any great surprise knowing Buffalo's cap situation and the work they have to do to become cap compliant being about $20 million over. The thought of paying a, a prospective free agent top-of-the-market money with a franchise tag, it, it's almost foolhardy. Um, right. So, and, and they haven't been big on using the franchise tag since they came There's, here anyway, so that wasn't really shocking, yeah, but it's noteworthy nonetheless. It's a very... It's very few people who kind of get the franchise tag this, these days in the NFL. It's got to be a pretty special situation, and it's got to be a player, I think, who's either A, incredibly important to the franchise, or B, at such a high level in his area of expert in his yeah. position that they can't replace him. Um, and, you know, obviously it's got to be also guys whose contracts are up. That's, that's a, it's a short list of guys in the NFL who would even – fit those categories right so, uh, that's why you know the bills don't have anybody who does that um and i'm not i'm not sure i mean you could argue that some people might argue that tremaine edmonds at age 25 is a franchise player that you don't want to let go but right. is he at a position that's considered a premium one in the eyes of the bills i mean you could go all the way back to the days of jaris bird and people were like, oh, how are you not franchising Jarris Bird? He's a Pro Bowl safety. He gets you seven, eight interceptions a year. And he's a third-year player. And back then, at that time, they didn't value the safety position as a top-of-the-market premium spot to invest that kind of capital in. And so they let him walk. And it actually proved to be the right decision because even though he signed a giant deal in New Orleans – he was injury riddled the rest of his career and never lived up to that $56 million contract. Now, I would say that this regime does value the safety position very highly. Right. But I don't think they value the linebacker position super high. So the thought of putting a franchise tag on Tremaine Edmonds when they don't value that position as a premium position in the first place, it, and you it, know, it doesn't fit. Plus, there's a lot in that, too, because you can say, well, if the Bills value that safety position, why don't they franchise Jordan Poyer? Well, the simple fact is everything has to be in line for a guy to get the franchise tag, and one thing that's not in line for Jordan Poyer is the fact that he's 32 years old. Right. Um, you can't, you're not going to sign him to a five-year deal at that position. And franchising him, and particularly at this moment, when the, the club's finances are in the shape they're in or in this position they're in, you're just not going to get it done. You just can't fit it under. Yeah. So um, – it's either Jordan Poyer or six other guys that are real contributors, you know, that kind of thing. So um, it's a tough decision to make. 
And but you know, players get it. Players understand that's how it works, and certainly the ownership and GMs understand it as well. Right. In case you missed it yesterday and you were living under a rock, there are new stadium renderings released by the club uh, yesterday or late yesterday, and they're out for everyone to kind of peruse and look through. About six or seven images of what the new Bill Stadium will look like. Some exciting uh, renderings in there, Steve. It's pretty, pretty futuristic nice. from the outside. I know yeah. they wanted to still include some traditional elements of Buffalo and the old rock pile and other stuff in the outer you know, imaging of the stadium, but very futuristic looking. I think you can get a better handle on the canopy that we've heard Bill's Executive Vice President Ron Rekuia explained before when he's been on our show and in other places that six oh, upwards of 60% of the seats are going to be covered by that canopy from the elements, you know, if it's raining especially. So right. uh, I think you get a better feel for that. Anything else strike you with some of those images? Um, the thing that's going to be different, and we've all, we've all gotten used to the old one, right? And my thought is that I've, I've – been around the league when I was with CBS and we went to all these new stadiums, you know, when Baltimore was new, when Cleveland was new, when uh, whatever. Um, Houston had a new stadium. Um, all, all of them. When you go to the new places, you know, Dallas, um, there's always a, a, a transition and what people think about the new one. Uh, and almost universally, whenever they move into a new one, like Chicago and Denver, um, they love the new stadium because it's just better. You know, I right. mean, they don't, they Amenities. don't, this isn't like a two year old automobile that you're trading in. This is yeah. like a 50 year old building that you're moving into a new one. It's always just fantastically nice. They all are. The one that, thing that strikes me about this one that I think people are going to notice when they start building it, it's going to be above ground. All of it. It's not going to be like, It'll sit, the profile will sit taller. Very tall. It's going to look very tall. It'll be like it'll be like the uh, field house height. You know, it's going to be really tall up above the ground, if not higher than the field house. So it's it's going to you're going to see it. You know, um, Highmark is half buried, right? So yeah. it's not going to have that kind of low bowl profile. And that's I think that's the thing that grabs me most. It, the, the entire thing is going to be sitting above the ground, and yeah. and uh, you know it's that makes it different. Plus, you know it's going to look futuristic. If you haven't seen those images yet, you can hop on buffalobills.com where you can easily find those to get an idea as to what that place is going to look like in the fall of 2026. Steve mentioned that not many people are franchised anymore, but one player has already in the NFL. It's Washington Commanders defensive tackle Deron Payne. He has been franchised to the tune of $18 million and change, and undoubtedly, Steve, to be able to foot the bill on that franchise tag, the Commanders released quarterback Carson Wentz, and they also released safety Bobby McCain, which saved a combined $31 million and change. So that took care of the franchise tag, at least covering the cost of that, and then some, as a lot of teams are scrambling now to become cap compliant in what's going to amount to two weeks time I, before we talk about anything with regard to the franchise tag Carson Wentz Steve traded by the Eagles to the Colts one year done now traded to the Washington Commanders one year done 
Steve, does he does he ever play? Does he play in the NFL again? Let's start there, because I don't think he's going to start in the NFL ever again. But does he play in the NFL um, ever again? I think he is going to be a backup player for the time being until he gets to a place where he can thrive. Um, the I think the scenario by which I see him getting back into the starting role is coming on in relief, knocking out of the park, much like Nick Foles did for him in Philadelphia the year they won the Super Bowl. Yeah. Um, that's it. Um, because when uh, – and certainly – you look back at it, his time in Indianapolis when he was on the field, Frank Reich got as much out of him as anybody statistically. Um, so he needs a certain type of atmosphere and a type of relationship to be to thrive. And, and you know, you got to know what that is when you sign up for him. So maybe he goes to Carolina as a backup. Although he went to Indy and worked with Frank. And right now, if he goes to Carolina, he's a starter. Well, right, because they don't have anybody else. But um, so, I got a yeah. I got a sneaky suspicion, and we hope to catch up with Frank right here before we're off the air today. I got a sneaky suspicion they might be in the market for <laughs> a quarterback with the ninth pick. Well, yeah, um, ninth pick plus maybe next year's number one, and it turns in from the ninth pick and next year's one to the fifth pick or the fourth pick, and next year's one or, or the, the first, second or the first pick. or the first pick. Take a so, king's yeah. ransom to get up to one, but if you think that guy's the guy. Yeah. Shoot your shot. Doesn't if it takes, you know, a little bit to get up to the from number 9 to say number 5 or 6, then it's easier to get to the number 1 from the 5 or 6 than it is from the 9 spot, you know. So I all that's on the table, right? Um they could maybe they could get Houston to give them the 3 spot, right? They go from 9 to 3 with Arizona and oh kind of Kind of stepping stone, step like the Bills did with Josh Allen. Yeah. Go from well, they came 20, from twenty-two, twenty-two up to, to twelve, seven, and then yeah. to seven. Right, exactly. So they only got to get up from nine. Exactly. So maybe it can happen. It's just going to be that's premium territory, though. But Arizona doesn't need a quarterback. They could use extra picks. Well, they're trying to fix their defense. Well, they, Arizona, well, right? Yeah, but you know, a top they'd be go nine, go from three to nine. There's only half dozen guys right. between them. So, yeah, that kind of thing is possible. That kind of thing is possible. But, yeah, the yeah Carson Wentz is a backup, and it, even if he goes to Carolina with Frank Reich. Now, certainly he's the best guy on the roster they'd have right now. Mm-hmm. But I'm with you. I think Carolina is, is going to get one of those top four quarterbacks and, you know, come, come hell or high water, they're going to get one. And the Panthers – are reportedly now one of the other teams that are going to meet with free agent quarterback Derek Carr. We knew the Jets were interested. The Saints, both teams have already had him in for visits. They're supposed to meet with him again here in Indianapolis because Carr came in to meet with as many teams as possible. He's doing his due diligence. The Panthers are the third team that are reported to be interested in Derek Carr, which would be very interesting, Steve. And, and again, if we get Frank here, we can talk about it. I, I would tend to think all options are on the table, but I wouldn't be shocked if they pursue Derek Carr as a veteran option, sign no. him, start him this year, and then draft one as well and get some kid in the pipeline. Yeah, if you're not kicking the tires on Eric, Derek Carr, if you're not on the phone with Green Bay about Aaron Rodgers, uh, and if you're not talking to Jimmy Garoppolo's people, you're not doing your job. 
Um, and there might be one or two. There might be another one I'm forgetting. Geno Smith. If you're not on the phone with Geno Smith, you're not doing your job. Yeah. Um, you've got to find out what the going rate is for those guys. Because they, let's face it, there's a huge gap in the quarterback market. I was reading this article yesterday. You, you get guys like Baker Mayfield, Sam Darnold, uh, and those guys that are like a $10 million guy. They're like eight-figure guys. They're going to give them $10 bucks to play on your team as a backup or a $7 million deal for, you know, $7 million over two years. Yeah. You know, I mean, $7 million a year for two years, that kind of thing for, as a backup quarterback. Then it jumps to Derek Carr, like $33 bucks a, a pop a year. It jumps to those guys. Geno Smith's probably going to want that kind of money. You know what I'm saying? It go, there's, no, there's none of these $22 million guys a year, right? Yeah, no middle market. Yeah, there's no middle market. It's either a backup and a, and a journeyman or it's a guy who is your guy. There is no scale there. And, you know, it's Derek Carr, Aaron Rodgers, uh, probably Jimmy Garoppolo as well, and Geno Smith as those top four guys out there. And I'm trying to think. I think there's another one. I can't remember who it is. But those four guys, take them as an example, those are the guys that are going to be $25 million plus a year. Everybody else is going to be $25 million over three years. And, and that's kind of the market right yeah. now. We have to take a break here, but when we come back, we're going to be joined by Bill's general manager, Brandon Bean. Give us the 411 on this year's draft class, some of the work he's got in front of him with respect to free agency, becoming cap compliant, and what he might be looking for in the draft. That's coming your way next here on One Bills Live, presented by Collider Health. It's Buffalo Bills Radio. Welcome back to One Bills Live. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker with you live from the NFL Combine in Indianapolis. Time for us to turn to our conversation today with Bills General Manager Brandon Bean. All right, Brandon, so let's begin here. Some coaching moves today uh, that Coach McDermott had to square away and make official, yep. uh, including some additions. But I, I think the Leslie Frazier um, decision to take a year off from coaching is probably what looms the largest. Maybe if you could just shed some light on that for the listeners. Yeah, uh, obviously, you know, we love Coach. And, um, you know, he let us know this past week is before Indy is the time we you know, tell the coaches and staff, just get away. It's been a long year because you don't stop after the season. You, you keep going in your <laughs> yeah. process. So it's just like you want to be fresh when you get here. And, and so uh, during the week off, uh, you know, uh, coach reached out and just we talked through some things. And ultimately, um, you know, he just he didn't want to retire. Um, you know, he made that clear. But uh, just wanted to take a you know, step back, take a year off. And, and so that's kind of where it's at. Well, you know, fortunately for us, um, you know, Sean's a defensive head coach, you know, so it's not the other side of the ball. And, you know, we got a lot of good minds, you know, in-house. And so I think we'll, we'll look there first and uh, get a lot of good people. And so it's just, you know, it's it's new, um, you know, out there in the world. But uh, we, we've been talking about it, you know, the last few days. What uh, And what are you, const you know, what are the constraints that the league puts on you? Certainly you have to go through a process because coordinators now are, are subject to the Rooney rule and all of that. Um, so will you have – I guess Leslie will remain the defensive coordinator even though he's going to take a year off and you just kind of fill in with in-house guys? Or have you got not got even gotten to that point yet? Yeah, you know, we'll uh, – we'll, you know, unless you're definitely going to fill that role with, a you know, a different name, um, which we're not there yet at this right. point, you wouldn't necessarily have to interview. So we'll just – we'll look internally again as I started out, you know, 
Sean, I've been around him as a, as a, as a defensive coordinator uh, right. in my time in Carolina. Obviously, he was in Philly before that. So um, it, it's it's on that side of the ball, and and we feel we got a lot of good people in you know in that defensive staff room. Uh, we've added uh, Joe Dana and, and Al Holcomb this year to that group. Al's been a defensive coordinator before. Uh, really like being around Joe, you know, the, the ball we've talked early on. So, um, you know, adding him to, to the group of Eric Washington and um, Bobby Babich and, right. and John Butler and that crew. So, um, no, we'll, we'll look internally. And, and uh, if we decide that it's something that we want to feel with a, you know, a, you know, a position, given someone that title, then, yes, you would go through the interview right. process. Yeah. And a guy like Al could pick up the slack based on his history, he would think. Like, if, if that's the decision that you guys made, that would make a lot of sense, I would think. Yeah, yeah. Um, let's get to the business that you got to take care of here. <laughs> um, at your season wrap-up press conference in late January, you said in order to get cap compliant, you'll have to make moves. So I would assume that includes tough decisions like roster cuts, contract restructures, and then you got all the free agents coming off your books here in 2023. If you had to make a pie chart for us, mm-hmm. what part of those avenues that you can take would make up the biggest part of the pie chart do you think yeah i mean probably more restructuring than outright releases okay you know not to say no one would be released but um we are definitely looking at everything we've got our plan kind of laid out working through that uh you know with with you know certain players representatives and things like that but um yeah we we're definitely in that 20 range of being over so we you know we've got until you know march 15th to to get that in compliance and then you know obviously we got to create money to be able to add some players back and and then sign your draft picks and 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 all the above so working through that right now and and those conversations will continue between now and and the start of the league year so when this uh as this offseason rolls along uh your philosophy, I guess, from, from what got you to this point to be in this contender every year where you're in the, in the conversation and, and once again you're going to be this year, uh, even though you kind of come up and you've, you fall short on a game or two games or whatever, the philosophy really doesn't change. I mean, you've got it going on. you just got to try and do what you're doing better than you did last time, right? Yeah, you're always tweaking it you know you you know it starts with with quarterback we know we have a quarterback and so what what positions um do you feel like hey we didn't get enough production there what what's our answer is is this a is this filling in with a draft choice do we have a a young player that we feel is ready to ascend um is it a you know what we need to go out and kind of fill this in free agency maybe it's a combo maybe you bring in competition in free agency but you, you know, you look to add in the draft as well. So we're looking at, at all those things, and you are constantly trying to tweak and just find that right combination. And, and some of it's people too. You know, you're when you're building a team, it's not it's not robots. These are people and how they gel together and how they work together and, and the whole mesh part. So uh, that will be a big part of how we re- every every year's a new year. We talk about that. Every team's a new team, and so um, finding the right fits on the field and in our locker room is goal number one. As far as the fans are concerned, the names we, that keep coming up that they're interested in hearing about is Edmonds and Poyer, obviously, two of your bigger free agent guys. have their, Where are we there? Have we had preliminary talks? I know you guys every offseason when you have free agents say, here's the value we can set for you guys. If you feel you can do better, good luck to you, and if you want to come back, we're here. 
where are you in that whole process with those two guys in particular? Yeah, we'll we'll have dialogue with those guys. You know, I don't want to get into how deep we are with, yeah. with either, but yes, that we will have dialogue. Um, you know, if we haven't already with with their reps and and you know <clears throat> spoke to those guys at the end of the season, and they know we love them and respect them and appreciate them. And and you know, this is the business part. It's it's not you're not at you know it's not scholarships. It's not college where you can say, yeah, I'll give you another year of a scholarship. That would be easy. Um, you don't want to lose good players. That's not the goal. You want to keep as many as you can, uh, but we do have to fit it into that pie you were talking about yeah. earlier. And so, um, you know, it won't be easy, but we'll, you know, we'll look and see what ways we can keep one or both. And um, if not, we'll, you know, if we can't keep either one of them, we'll look in other ways to, to you know, refill those voids. One of the things that not only that you have players that you're, you think can ascend now, but you also have guys that are contracts are up and you've got, I mean, you look at the safety position, you've got, like, one guy, yeah. right? So they're also, because of the, the way the contracts end or start or the length of the, they all end at the same time, or some of them do. And then you've got question marks like DeMar. Yeah. Uh, how do you attack those knowing, like, you know, like, you know, Saffold and the guards and Butker and, and Bates and these guys that are at the end yeah. of their contract? you you, you got to. You know, I mean, you don't have enough guys, right? Yeah. At this point, I mean, it's <laughs> yeah. just that kind of—it's that time of year, right? Yeah, yeah, Where you're looking is. around and going, God, you know, we couldn't do it today if no. we had to line up. No, we couldn't. How do you attack that, and how urgent is that? You know, given the fact that you got all this other stuff going on. Yeah, I mean, you want to make sure you're filling it with guys, not just to, hey, oh, we got it, but it's really not the answer. You want to make sure you're you're trying to find the right answers, and and it's not necessarily the final answer, but it's at least, hey, this guy can come in and compete, you know, with whoever for safety or this guy can compete at guard you know mentioning you know roger saffold's contract um expiring as well so we'll look at all those um again people are being you're hearing about it right now where guys are being released other teams are trying to get under the cap yeah. so we'll we'll pay attention to those names guys that are being released obviously we'll pay attention you know we're, we've been looking at upcoming free agents and some of those guys and then you know here we're also studying guys that will be available in the draft That's you right. know at, at the various rounds so we'll kind of look at all those if you know areas that are deeper in the draft maybe you, you hold off a little bit and say hey i think we can get if there's a if we go man it's a thin position in the draft we probably should see if we can shore up at least um at least a, a guy that can compete for it um and, and if you draft over him so be it Speaking of offensive line, a lot of your offensive line contracts over the years have been of the one-year variety for whatever your philosophical approach is to that. You know, fine, whatever. But has your salary cap situation almost kind of, I don't want to say pushed you, because you can always work the numbers a certain way, but is it almost prudent to keep doing that in light of your tight cap situation right now, the one-year kind of deal, so you're not tied up for years on end? Yeah, I mean, we have Mitch and and Dion are our our big, you know, spending, you know, areas. You you, you can't do it across the board. Mm-hmm. Ryan Bates last year, you know, through the restricted tag, you know, we got him. So we've got a few that are under longer deals and Spencer Brown a draft pick. Unless you draft a guy, it's hard to have, you know, a you know, a whole line of all guys under 3 and 4 year deals. So yeah, we have had to fill um, those guard roles a little bit with one-year deals or two-year deals and mm-hmm. um, if we found the right guy that that we could work within the cap that's a two-year three-year I'd love it because it, it gives me a little peace uh, <laughs> less mine. work for you to do yeah. the next year <laughs> but uh, and well and you want continuity you're not yeah. trying to shuffle it out but sometimes what we find too is we're able to get a player on a lesser deal who doesn't want to be locked up at a lower number for multiple years they're willing to right. do it for one 
but they're not willing to do it for two or three uh, because they want to up their value and go back to the market. And if we can find uh, a depressed asset that we think is better than that market, those are the those are the kind of values you you look to try and fill spots. Gotcha. So early returns on this combine this draft class uh positions you think might be thicker thin you know as we say yeah i mean it's 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 still early in the process i do think there are um you know some pass rushers uh this year again i think um, the dbs and receivers it feels like the the more and more years of seven on sevens and all that it feels like there's more and more guys you know at those possessions I i think there's some tight ends out there i do and and um so I think there's going to be some positions that we can we can add some players. There's there's O line, D line too. Um, you know I think it's a it's a good. I don't know if it's I don't know if there's a lot of the marquee names at the top. You know of of the draft. There's a few, but uh, but I think there's you know definitely some depth in, in the draft at, at positions that that we could definitely use. So yeah. if you're look and a lot of people have been trumpeting the tight end class being really really strong like a larger number than usual and you know all these draft guys top 50s and stuff Mm -hmm. is that do you think the tight end class could be good enough from a pass catching perspective where let's just say a team out there is in the market for a receiver but the value doesn't line up but there's a tight end option and it's like that guy's just as good as getting this guy who we think could have been a plug-and-play two receiver. I mean, it seems like the tight ends are almost getting to a point where their playmaking skills are comparable. Yeah. No, you're you're looking for mismatches out there. You really are. And so you're trying to, you know, does the tight end, is he just a receiver only and they know it? If so, they're probably going to play him like a receiver. But if you can find those guys that are not a throwaway in the run game, can put their hand in the dirt and, and at least, you know, crack even crack neutral then you know maybe you get them into base and you can throw it off of that or good enough to if they want to play you in nickel you know if you got two tight ends in the game you're in 12 that you can run the ball all right you you want to play us in nickel we're going to try and run it so um, I do think there's some some tight ends out there whether it's free agency or the draft that can give you that flexibility to add and and that's what I'm it's not that hey you got to go fill this receiver we're looking for positions on offense beyond the O-line that where can we add a mismatch type player, you know, and, you know, that's where we, you know, went in and tried to find a James Cook last year. We added Hines and just mm-hmm. guys that you can do different pieces with that can, you know, can be a mismatch from your standard, just a receiver, you know, gotcha. just a Stephon Diggs, Gabe Davis, whoever else. How uh, <clears throat> do you anticipate getting to that point in this free agent market to the point where you can take whatever the position the guy is in the draft, you can be able to take the best player available. I mean, that's always the goal, right? Yeah. Uh, and of course, it you know becomes it's easier or more difficult as each year com- combines. How about this year? It it might be a little diff- more difficult this year than it was perhaps last year, and and maybe it's because of the Va- you know Vaughn's contract that uh, you didn't know we were going to do that, and then it was like. Gosh, maybe we should. Yeah, uh, yeah. right. Well, uh, so you know, stuff like that happens. It gets dropped into your lap. You you got to take that opportunity to get a guy like Von Miller. Yep. Knowing that down the road for the next couple three years, it's going to be more difficult to get to that point on draft day to take the best pro. That the best guy is going to be a best pro. Yeah. In that draft, whatever yeah. position. It is a balance, and and you're right. It's it is hard because we are a little bit top heavy. You know, we are paying Josh on on that contract and. Adding, you know, we we redid Diggs last year, and and then adding a Vaughn Miller. But you're right, just you know, you saw what Vaughn brought to our team sure. and to our pass rush and our defense. And 
he was doing exactly what we thought he would do for us and and unfortunately you know got got rolled into in in, uh, in Detroit there on Thanksgiving but uh, he's doing well in his rehab and and look forward to getting the healthy Von Miller back you, you know they don't those guys don't grow on trees right. but yeah it does the more top heavy you are Steve it does make it hard to fill all the spots in free agency the in the perfect world, my goal is always to fill the fill as many needs as you can in free agency, so you can just go draft those best players and grow. Because sometimes as rookies, they're adjusting to life, and even though they have the skill set ready, um, there's so many things from that transition. You're not quite ready to put them out there as a starter. Maybe that you know they become a key backup. So uh, we're going to need young guys to step up and play. Because to your point, um, we are a little top heavy, and, and it's it's hard to to always have the depth when you have the you know the salaries you know where we have some right. of them. Last one for me, Brandon. We kind of look at the Chiefs because they're a couple of years ahead of you guys in their build mm-hmm. compared to yours, and we yep. saw them kind of rebuild their offensive line when you know. Mahomes was getting under duress in that Super Bowl. They kind of threw all their money there. They turn over their receiving core this year. And then I think the most interesting thing was they had to take a lot of their draft class and put them on the field because of some of those maneuvers that they've had to make. I know Coach is all about earning it, and I totally respect it. But do you think that the team is is maybe getting to a point where those young players are going to have to get on the field maybe sooner than we've seen in the recent past, yeah, I mean, and that's where it's the onus. I, I look right in the mirror; it comes back to me. We, I've got to make sure that uh, you know myself and our personnel staff get guys that can help us immediately, whether it's a starter um, or a key, you know, key role player, key contributor. And, and again, those guys in last year's class, you know, we we're probably one of the slower teams to put them out there. To what your point, yeah. we we're just you know when you got a team that you feel is is very good you want to make sure you just know and sometimes until you get them out there in moments you don't right. know yeah. and but we are going to count on you know these last couple draft classes that are going into years two and years three and and then you know the other guys on the team but yeah this this upcoming draft class we're going to count on these guys too to help us in some you know some form or fashion last one uh give us an idea what's your What's your day going to be like day to day here? You're here through Saturday, right? I mean, I don't know if we have enough time for that. They had. uh, I mean, I know that most of the guys, and you know, we we see all these old guys that we know and stuff. They're all tied up until like eleven at night because you're talking to kids, right? I mean, so is that kind of the way it goes? And workouts start at like what three o'clock or something? Yeah, they they keep adjusting the schedule around, but um, it's right now. Used to be it was interviews at night, and then they moved a lot of them to the morning. But they've they've bounced them around, so like. Tonight we had them last night. We have them again tonight, and then starting tomorrow we have them morning and night, um, and then Thursday you got to squeeze in morning workout. I mean uh, morning interviews, workouts during the day, and then night interviews again. So uh, we've got some we got some packed days. They are the, the workouts are not as late as they were. They've moved them back up, which I think is better for for the kids. So yeah. So it, how many are you allowed? How many are you going to see? That kind of thing. What's so 45. We get 45. 45 uh, guys. 45 guys for like a 20, 18 to 20 minute uh, interview schedule. So, <laughs> so they have like a Gestapo you know, <laughs> kind of guys like, oh, your time's up kind of guy. Well, every team has the air horn, isn't it? Ha- Do they, they still have, use the air horn? They have air horns. They're on the TVs. But um, we have runners that go wait. We get their kind of their dance card is what we call it, and, and if we're taking a guy from, um, you know, the commanders or something like that, we have someone waiting to escort him from that room into ours, and then when they leave ours, somebody from wherever team is yeah. waiting on them, oh, picks them awesome. and takes them up. So it's a good little process. Thanks, man. Enjoy the week. Thanks for coming on with us. Always yeah. good, guys. Good, good to see you. Good luck getting your work done, Brandon. I appreciate, appreciate you guys.
All right, that's Bill's GM, Brandon Bean. We will take a break here. Steve and I back with more, including an impending salary cap cut for the New York Giants. We'll tell you who that is next here on One Bills Live, presented by Collider Health. It's Buffalo Bills Radio. from the NFL Combine here in Indianapolis where we're at the downtown convention center doing what we do day one of our four-day stay here in Indy covering the Combine for you and the salary cap casualties have begun. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. The New York Giants have informed wide receiver Kenny Galladay that come March 15th he will be released. They are waiting until the 15th because that would make them eligible to save $6.7 million against the cap by waiting until March 15th. Galladay was set to count 21.4 total against the cap this year. He is guaranteed, though, $4.5 million from the Giants this season under his contract. There was a, a good tweet earlier from our good friend Mike Giannitti from Track. He said, Kenny Galladay will receive a $4.5 million cash roster bonus upon being released. He earned just over $40 million in two seasons with the Giants. He caught 43 passes. Oof. Oof is right. Oof with a capital O, capital O, capital F, exclamation point. That was from the previous regime. Dave Gettleman signed him in free agency. That's rough. And the new regime under Joe Shane is giving him a $4.5 million check to go away. Wow. And we know why they're doing that. Because they're trying to re-sign Daniel Jones and they're trying to re-sign Saquon Saquon Barkley. And uh, Joe Shane said they have had preliminary conversations with Daniel Jones' representatives where it at, where it is in terms of you know how close they are he would obviously not say when he spoke here earlier today to the media but that yeah, is their he did say too that's that their aim it, he fully expects daniel jones to be their quarterback next year um and if they can't do, do a deal he'll use the tag on him which is big <laughs> that's a big number um i mean daniel jones may be okay with that you know, I mean, you got a guy in a you got a head coach who made you better, even though you only threw 15 touchdown passes. I, I can't get past that. I can't get past that. Way better. Yeah. And made you better. Statistics or not, the guy. Right. The guy got him to got the New York football giants to the playoffs in a year where they were supposed to be. Ugly. Correct. You know, and they still have a lot of holes to fill to upgrade the talent level on that roster. They had right. a good draft class sure. come in that helped in the trenches. Um, you know, Evan Neal, the offensive tackle from Alabama. Kayvon Thibodeau, the pass rusher from Oregon. They got those two guys 
on the lines, did some other stuff to help the roster. The build continues for the Giants, but they've got some cost-prohibitive contracts that they want to rid themselves of from the previous regime, and it started today with Galladay's Kenny Galladay, who's yeah. going to be officially let go March 15th when the new league year begins. And I, yeah, they're, I mean, they've got work to do, and sometimes, you know, it's e well, I say easy. I'm, let's let's remember, it used to be take it used to take a decade to, to rebuild. Right now, you got you can do it in a year or two years, and if you got some if you got some guys in the right spot, you can do it in one year. Go from worst to first. We've seen teams do it. Uh, the There's Giants, almost one team that does it every year. Right. I think the Giants are going to get markedly better fast and once they get the financials in order and they can do if they if they get saquon in in-house yeah and daniel jones even if they franchise tag daniel jones um i think this is a team that's gonna whose expectations are gonna go up sharply for this coming season because the rest of their division outside of the cowboys who where expectations are always super bowl whether they deserve it or not i mean the Giants have got to feel like, particularly with the, the Eagles sitting with all those free agents and all the guys that are, on, that are expiring contracts and the whole thing, the Eagles are going to – it looks like the Eagles are going to implode quick. I don't know if they will because they had a good draft class coming in last year. You know, they got a linebacker in T.J. Edwards who's a free agent. Does N'Kobe Dean, you know, their third-round pick from last year, step into that starting right. role? They lose – they could lose Fletcher Cox. Right. Does Jordan Davis – step into that role, the behemoth kid they drafted from Georgia last year. They have a draft class that could step into those roles. That's not to say they're going to be just as good or better, but at least they have people with some measure of talent that they could put on the field in their place uh, because the Eagles, they kind of shot their shot last offseason, right. and it didn't work, and now they're going to have to regroup. But the Eagles also, they named a new offensive coordinator today, new play caller. Uh, and, you know, and they're still so hunting I, for a new yeah, DC. Right. So the, the the story is, the Giants feel like after that last season where they kind of overachieved, the expectations even within their building is going to be high. Yeah, I think, and I think, yeah, they've got if they want to remain so, they can't have any questions at quarterback, and that means that Daniel Jones has got to be the guy because anybody else is going to be a question mark. Right. Unless they pull off the deal of the century and get Aaron Rodgers in a trade or, you know, I don't even know, Derek Carr. I don't, but even so, yeah, Derek Carr is a sideways move to me. He's not in markedly better because they use Daniel Jones' legs as much as the Bills did with Josh Allen. Yeah. In his early I think they feel they can close the gap on the Eagles. Maybe not pull even with them, but certainly close the gap. I don't know if you're getting all the way there with Jones as your quarterback, but well, I guess we're going to find out one way or the other. But I, I, If they don't have Jones as their quarterback, I think whatever happens, it's a step backwards. All right, fair enough. We have to take a break here because when we come back, we're going to be joined in the second hour of the show by NFL Network draft analyst Daniel Jeremiah. Just came out with his latest top 50 prospects. We'll talk to him about the draft class, where the strengths lie, and where the value might be for the Bills position-wise at 27. Daniel Jeremiah coming up next here on One Bills Live.
One Pills Live, presented by Kaleida Health. Welcome back. One Bills Live, live from the NFL Combine in Indianapolis. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker with you. And time for us to turn to our conversation that we had today with NFL Network draft analyst Daniel Jeremiah. Okay, Daniel, so let's start here because obviously every NFL club's fan base is obsessed with their first-round pick, and the Bills are all the way down at 27, which, you know, you want to be down there because that means you had a good season. But the waiting is the hardest part. Uh, as we've heard before. So I think the thing that Bills fans are most interested in is what talent at what positions will push talent, top talent at other positions, down to where the Bills sit at 27, if you know what I'm getting at there. Yeah, I think that it's a really good group of edge rushers. Okay. Um, so I think you're going to see a big run on those uh, early in the draft. Obviously the, the quarterback run is going to take place early yep. in, up at the top 10. But I think combined with that, with the edge rushers, I think you'll see a pretty good run on corners as well. To me, if you're looking at, like, the the value of where they're picking right now, what does that look like? I think interior offensive linemen is actually the the place where you're going to find (laughs) premier players. We need one of those. (laughs) And there's a good group there. So let's talk about the quarterbacks. I mean, is there four, is there a handful of guys top ten? I mean, I know that there's probably one or two at least always there is. Yeah. Uh, but then there's always one or two that are elevated because they don't want to lose out on everybody. Yeah, I think that I think we have a good shot of seeing four of them go right. up there. You know, and Anthony Richardson's the is the fourth one. I think when we talk about him in the media, he kind of is is mentioned as the fourth one. I know when talking to teams, you know, there's some teams that are really high on him, and and you always get the honest opinion when you talk to teams that have quarterbacks. Like I should call Bean because he's shoot me straight on this right. too because you're not yeah. taking one. Uh, but in talking to some of the other quarter teams that already have quarterbacks, they have him as a second guy. And really? that's flaws and all because they feel like, look, there's risk with all these players. So sure. if I'm going to take a risk, I'd like to have the reward be as high as possible, yeah. and his reward is sky high. Right, so he's a, he's a Josh Allen-type athlete. He's, yeah, I mean, he's gonna he's a 4-4 guy at 230-plus pounds. I mean, <laughs> right. you're talking – like, it's not – when you're watching quarterbacks, especially when you see them when they're that big Dang. and you're watching them in that conference in the SEC and you're seeing 80-yard runs, 60-yard runs, yeah. you're just like, that's yeah, not normal. That's, that, I, yeah. And I see that because you know that when push comes to shove and all these young quarterbacks are going to get into a spot where they, they don't see it well enough yep. yet. Yep. Um, they can make the throw, but they don't see it right, which, you know, all that stuff. And you can cover up a lot of sins if you can run a 4-4 yeah. and you're 230 pounds. Yeah, and I, I remember being up there during Josh's rookie year, and, and that was – I mean, he, he did not – That was the offense. Yeah, that was him just running around like crazy, just making things happen with his legs. And I think if you look at Jalen Hurts' success as well, and you look at maybe even the failure of some of the other young quarterbacks, and I, I firmly believe that – your, your legs need to be able to buy you enough time before right. you're ready to yeah. win with your arm. And if you don't have that athleticism, all of a sudden you come out there and now you're going through the normal learning curve. There's no tolerance for that anymore. Nobody right. has any patience for that. So you got to find a way to be competitive in football games while you're trying to learn how to play this very, very tough, complicated yeah. right. position. Well, let's, let's say this then. Where's the perfect place for a guy like Richardson? Well, that's a, that's a great question. Um, he didn't want to go to New York because – they don't. They've got the patience of an avalanche. Yeah, there's no chance. Right. Yeah, that doesn't that doesn't work there. So to me, they got to go to veteran. They got to go to the yeah, veteran route right. with the Jets. But when I look at Richardson, I, I look at teams in the NFC South, and I just say, okay, that division is infinitely winnable. You know. Right. And there's time to grow. Like, yeah. if the rest of the division isn't 
lumping None of them have anything up. figured out. Yeah. None of them. So it's like, okay, just, just you pick your team. Pick them out of a hat. Atlanta, you think about the Bucks. You know, they're out of the Tom Brady business. I know they like Kyle Trask, but that, they don't know what they have there. Car- Carolina, I mean, you go all the way down through the whole group. The Saints, they, they all need a guy. Yeah, that's crazy. Uh, interior offensive line. You said the value should be good down there where yep. the Bills are picking at 27. So let me fire some names off Give at you. Me. Osiris Torrance may not be there. Steve Avila, the TCU kid. Yep. Matthew Bergeron, the Syracuse kid just down the throughway from us. And then John Michael Schmitz and, and Joe Tipman. That's his guy. Uh, yeah, I love Joe Tipman too. Steve, Steve Avila, I would put him in there as Done well. Done deal. Okay. TCU. Yeah, yeah it's Steve a good... Avila, I just became a, a little bit uh, familiar with over the course of the last week or so because mm-hmm. I was looking at other guys, but he's all of a sudden he emerged on a lot of people's boards. He's a good player, and he can play yeah. any of those three interior spots. Right. Tipman can really move. I mean, he's kind of he's a taller center. Which there he's like have a six-six center. Yeah, yeah well, I think when he'll probably come in here, he'll probably be in the six-fives. But if you remember, Max Unger played for a long right. time. Yeah. He's a good player. as a six-foot-five center coming out of Oregon. I think there's some similarities there. This kid can bend. He can really move. They pull him a ton. He gets out to the perimeter, does some cool things. So I think he's a really good player. I mean, John Michael Schmitz is not as athletic as him. Okay. But he's, you know, it's kind of one of those guys when you finish three games and you look down and you're like. Okay, I don't really have anything negative to say about him. I mean, there's nothing that just right. blows you away. He's, he's not, like a steady Eddie. Kind yeah, of. he's not you know, uncoiling his hips and dumping guys, but it, he's not giving up any pressure, and he's getting his man block. He stays attached. So right. those guys play, and you can win with those guys. Torrance is the elite physical trait guy. So he's going to be size strength. He's not going to test well here. He's going to okay. run in the 5'1 oh, really? to 5'2 range. This kid was 400 pounds in high school. Oh, So oh, okay. he's dropped all this weight. But in talking to the – and talking to uh, the training facility where he's worked out, it's interesting because you can't move him. And one of the reasons I was talking to this trainer about it, he said he's totally flat-footed. So while that's not going to help you on a 40, you don't want to be a heel striker right. or a flat-footed runner. You're not going to run fast. But he said in, in terms of an anchor of an offensive lineman, it's great. All your cleats are in the ground. You're, you're sunk into the ground. You're not moving that guy. Right. Yeah, wow. that, and that's, that's a big issue, particularly the run game and, in, and short yardage and all that. It, doesn't, it does kind of – Set a limit on you where they can what they can ask you to do. I mean, because yeah. the Bills have got their tackles coming out. I mean, they got a quarterback that can run out there yeah. and run a power sweep. They need a tackle that can get outside and do that. Yeah. Uh, but they also don't want somebody that can get pushed back into his lap. I mean, it, it's a all these guys come with positives and negatives. Hundred uh, percent. Give us an idea too about. That's why I tell, I'm telling you, Avila. You, when right. You, when you dig into Avila, Avila can move. Avila's 330 plus pounds. He can See, move. That's the thing. And then the Bergeron kid too. Bergeron from Syracuse. Is a good Some people player. are saying tackle. Some people are saying I think he played tackle. Yeah. Okay. He's a so six he's good four enough. kid. Uh, I think. Yeah. And, he's got. He's big enough. He's, he's long enough. Yeah, he can do yeah. it. It comes down to, and I sometimes you get enamored with they got to be six five plus or whatever. But it doesn't if they're six three and they yeah. got thirty eight inch arms. Well, even even know. if they're not as long, like I mean, in doing the charging games, Rashawn Slater is right. S- right at six four. He does. He has thirty two inch arms. Right, and mm-hmm. he's unbelievable. Yeah. So I mean, if if you know how to play, let's say old dad is like you've been if you've been short your whole life, you know how to play. Oh when yeah. You're short. Right, he's right. had these arms as old, and you're playing against elite competition in a big conference like that. What are you looking for in this? I mean, everything. Every one of these is different. We come up. We showed up here today. It's a little different than it was last year when we were here, and, yeah. and they, they're they're tinkering with the schedule off and on. Yeah. Um, what are you? Any feedback uh, coming to you about you know guys who are looking to like 
all of a sudden it's like, wow, look at that guy. Yeah, there's going to be some guys that, that really stand out this week. Um, Adebaware is a defensive tackle from Northwestern mm. who you're going to see, and I'm talking to some people there, said he's got 34-inch arms. He's one of those guys. I, I love the profile of interior defensive linemen. They're a little bit shorter. He's 6'2" but he's got really long arms because yeah. now you have length and leverage, and that is yeah. a nightmare to deal with as an interior offensive lineman. So he's 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 going to, I was told, beware of like some Aaron Donald-type numbers from oh, him. Wow. He's going to oh, test yeah, nice. like Where, So I know there's probably not quite as many alpha male receivers in this draft. Yeah. So with that in mind. I don't think there's one. Not, not even one. No. Okay, so with that in mind, where is the value best at the receiver position in this draft? Well, I think that. Where Buffalo is in the bottom of the first round, I think okay. you could get one of the top guys there. I don't think we're going to see these receivers go real high this year. And so yeah. that's the first wave. And if you think there's, you know, four, four or five, you know, of, in that first group, I think they'll have a shot at one of those guys where they are. And then I think, to me, the second round, I don't, I don't like. I think there's a gap. I think you have that five solid, good, solid players. I think there's a gap. And then I think there's a truckload of guys. Yeah. So, okay. I, I, you know, it's one of those deals where I don't – I wouldn't be all that fired up about taking one in the third round when I could probably take one in the fifth or sixth, and it's not going to be that much different. Do you think there will be a wide variance of grades on those oh, second yeah. I and think third this, groups? I think like this, some people say, that guy's a two for us, and other people, uh, day three. Yeah, and I, I would even say I think you'll see a lot of, you know, he's maybe a third-round guy for us, and he's a sixth or seventh-round guy wow, for us. That but I, I think you'll see it what they run here and how they move around. Because it's all clumped, I think this – Everybody always asks, what's the value of the combine? And I'm like, it's, it's not to say who the best player or the worst player is. It's to take a clump of three or four guys, watch them move around during the week, and not just all their testing, but just eyeballing them, watching them right. move around. And that's a little separator, you know, and that's what this, the value of this thing is. Interesting. Uh, any, um, what's, uh, what's your favorite part of this whole week long? I still like, I mean, there's something that's just the little kid in you likes guys running fast, yeah. you know? Like, it's yeah, like, yeah. I wish they'd let them race. But uh, yeah, yeah. But it's oh, that might. <laughs> but you know, when you see when you know the, the years I've been fortunate enough to do it on this side of things, when you get a Jordan Davis out there, it, you know, when Kai Becton was here when he right. ran, with, like it's cool to see these. These are physical freaks. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the deep end of the gene pool. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I mean I remember coming out. I, my first year here was '03, so it's been a, it's been a while doing this from the team side of things all the way to this. And I mean I can remember the stories, you know, in, in watching Calvin Johnson who. He's yeah. not going to run. He's not going to run. And all of a sudden, they're like, wait a second, he just borrowed somebody's shoes. I guess he is going to run. And the Joker runs 4'3 at 235 pounds yeah, or whatever six, five he was. Plus, I mean, the guy was – yeah. It's a freak. Was, I still remember when Jason Peters ran a 4'8'5, and that was a big yeah. deal back then. No, and, he was, it, and he was a tight end then at the combine. Yeah, Lane Johnson was rolling out yeah, here. There's, there's some guys that are – J.J. Watt was a, was a big-time workout. They're very different, yeah. So that, to me, is still fun. Again, I know there's people, you, you, underwear Olympics, and yeah. what are we doing? And you don't, and like, yeah, no, this is not the only way you draft players. This is right. a part of it. It's, just, it's, it's a part of the process. We don't make it more than it is. But what the heck else you got better to do right yeah. now? I mean, it's spring That's training. Right. I mean, come on. That's right. We got this far into it without discussing the much ballyhooed tight end class, which yeah. I know you're very high on listening to your conference call last week. I think you said you had five in your top 50. There's a bunch up um, there. As many as 10 in your first three or four I think, rounds? I think I have 10. That's or, a high I, I number. I have 10 or 11 
where I gave them a potential starter grade, which usually equates to about the third round, which means not all. there's no way those guys are all going to the third, uh, right, the third right. round. You're going to get guys in the fifth round this in this draft that I think can be starters, can be good wow, yeah. starting caliber tight ends. And it hasn't been that way. It's been a lot of years where – you know, I go through and, um, you know, when you're when you're scouting on the road, you go into the school and you watch players by school. Mm-hmm. So you go in there and i got to watch all the Ohio's. On this side of things, I just go by the position. Today's, you know, for this week I'm watching receivers, right. t- you know, whatever. And it's just one after another after another. And I can't tell you the number of years when it's tight ends and you're like, oh, my gosh, can one of these guys play? Come on, give me right. one. And this year it was like boom, it's boom, amazing. boom, yeah. boom, because boom. Because uh, we were talking, too, you're getting a big influx nowadays. And it, it, for, this year is a little bit different because you said there's no alpha male receivers. Yeah. But for four or five years we've had a huge amount of wideouts, oh, a yeah. huge amount of quarters, a huge amount of defensive backs who can really play. Yeah. Because all these seven-on-seven camps these guys 100%. are going to, and they're starting to see the passing game at a much younger age and getting more polished coaching. Uh, is it finally getting to the tight end spot maybe, or is this just kind of an aberration? This well, class? you know, we'll see going into next year. I, I know one thing, that the best tight end in college football is not in this draft. That, that kid at Georgia Brock is Bowers, unbelievable. Yeah. <laughs> I, went to, I took my son to the national championship game. Yeah, my son goes to Baylor, so it was his best day. To watch TCU get their teeth kicked in, right, right. he enjoyed it. He had a great time. But uh, So we go to the game, and before the game starts, and he's a college football fan, so he knew who he was, and I said, watch how much better the Georgia tight end is than everybody else on this field. And it was like five plays into the game. He's like, it's not even close. It looks like he's playing a different speed. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and he's not draft eligible until next year. It's yeah. crazy. No, I call. I called the. Uh, I, this is this is how Georgia's winning back-to-back national championships. Their offensive line coach is a good buddy of mine. He coached me in college, so I called him and I said, "Hey, coach, uh, tell me about your freak tight end, right?" And he goes, "Well, he's not in the draft." I go, "No, no, no, the other freak tight end." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the six seven two hundred eighty five two hundred seventy five pound guy that's going to run four six that's out right. here. He's like, "Oh, that's the right. other tight end." Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, we know that this is a matchup league. So in a year where the receiver class is not over the top, yeah. plentiful with top-end guys all the way through to round four, how often could you see teams maybe pivoting and saying, give me the tight end? I think so. I think you've got to look at it as weapons. You know, I think you just put them in that weapons group, and I think it's a good group of running backs too, some of which can really catch the ball out of the backfield. The Tulane kid. Yeah, the yeah. Tulane kid's a good player. There's a Kenny McIntosh from Georgia can really catch the ball out of the backfield. Jameer Gibbs is a really fun player uh, to watch. He's got some Alvin Kamara-type stuff. Mm-hmm. So I think you're saying, okay, we want to give our quarterback a weapon. Like, we want to give him a, uh, you know, a solid receiver, or do we want to give him an exceptional tight yeah. end? I'd rather, if I'm playing quarterback, I'd rather have the exceptional right. tight end. Last thing real quick, the Bills are light on numbers for safety. Yeah. Um, Not a great group. Micah Hyde is the only guy under contract. You don't know about Tamar Hamlin, Poyer, what's happening, and a lot of other guys have expiring deals. What What is there, I guess, maybe day two, day three, if anything? I love Jair Brown, the safety from Penn State. Oh, he's yeah. my top one. He's the only one I have in my top 50. It's not a great year for, mm. for uh, safeties. You've got a safety, Brown, from Illinois, one of the twins that's a good player. Um, I think it's Sydney, but he could. He, when you got twins in the same draft, what are they doing to me? I mean, right. come on. <laughs> I mean, yeah, right? I just say Brown from Illinois. Wow, I can't be doing? wrong. You yeah, know, perfect. Thanks, man. It's great, great to see you guys. Always man. good to see you, Daniel. Always Thanks for the time. Appreciate it. Appreciate you guys. All right, that's Daniel Jeremiah from NFL Network, the draft analyst. He's been crunching tape for like the last two months. Oof. He's got it down to the twins at Illinois. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, and I, I keep pressing the tight end thing because Steve, with the quality of that class, and we heard Brandon Bean say it earlier in the show, 
it's about matchups, and if you don't like the value at receiver in the draft, because you heard Jeremiah say it, there's no alpha male receivers in this draft. You don't have a Garrett Wilson or somebody like that. Right. If the value is better at tight end, and you can get just as an effective a mismatch there, draft the tight end. He'll help your offense just as much. Yeah, there's yeah, and I think most of the teams are on that. Um, I saw a stat today. It's you know outside of Pat Mahomes. Most of the top quarterbacks, because Mahomes has got Kelsey. Outside of that, the the bottom five tight end target teams in the NFL are Josh Allen, Justin Herbert, Joe Burrow. Those guys are in the bottom five. Right. Mahomes is number two in the league. Those other guys are all in the bottom five. Right. So those guys are hard to find. They just don't. They just don't fall off trees. It used to be, and I, I had this old adage, I used to say you either draft the top best tight end in the league or if you want a great tight end, you got to draft him or you have to steal him because you, you can't just – they don't seem to develop like into this game-breaking game wrecker. You know, you can get good tight ends. There's good tight ends everywhere. But, man, you want one of those guys that's like a Travis Kelsey? He comes yeah. he comes out of the, the wrapper like that, you know? Yeah, I mean – Dawson Knox didn't hit critical mass until his third season. Right, but he's still not the matchup still not nightmare Kelsey. that Kelsey is. And you get a guy like and, – and then you get guys like Dawson Knox who is good, good run blocker, good pass catcher, good route runner, good pass pro if you need him to be. But then you get other guys, most of the guys are like Gesicki where they're really good receiver, but they, they can't block anything. anything they can't do anything else. And, and – and the problem there, as Brandon Bean pointed out when he was talking with us earlier, if you've got a guy at the tight end position and all he can do is catch the ball and you put him out there in 12 personnel, nobody in the universe thinks you're running out of that. And so they're not going to put base personnel on the field. They're going to yeah, play in nickel, he's a nickel. because they're going to yeah, throw to him. Because a corner can outman him in the run game. I mean, a at, corner at least – at least Dawson Knox gives you the ability to come out in 12 personnel. That's right. And there is, a, there is a distinct possibility it could be a run play. Yes, that's exactly right. Dawson Knox makes you less predictable, not more predictable. And he gives you an advantage against base personnel because he can beat any linebacker, almost any linebacker in the league. Right, yeah. In coverage. That's right. And so that's what, that's what you need out of that, that spot. You need a guy that's a, a three or four down and, tight end. And to your point about Kosicki... That's why the Dolphins are throwing him overboard. Yeah. Because in that offense, the Shanahan run game offense, you can't have a tight end who all he does is catch. You just can't right. have it. Right. It's he's limited. It's all. It's the best way to say he's not a good tight end. So he's gonna, a, he's a he's a bad wideout. Right. <laughs> well, it's going to be interesting to see while you have a lot of talent at the tight end position in this draft class, what buckets do they get dropped in? Like, right. is Dalton Kincaid only a pass catcher, you know, from Utah? Um, you know, we know the Mayer kid from Notre Dame is considered a complete tight end, but he's a little bit on the lower end of game-breaking athleticism. You know, he's a he's a physical wall-off, you know, route-running guy. Yeah, he's not going to run away from people on a corner route. You know what I mean? So they're, they're going to be put into different buckets, and, you know, if you're a – 10 personnel, four wide team all day long, well, yeah, maybe you put the pass-catching guy. You'll want the pass-catching guy on your roster. But if you're a team that wants to vary the personnel groupings, 
kind of like Ken Dorsey likes to do, you're probably looking for a guy that can do a, at least a, enough run blocking where he at least poses the threat when he steps right. on the field that eh, they might it's, run here. It's always been a difficult position to interpret. And for that reason, you know, you get different takes on the same guy. And you're probably going to get a lot of different takes on these guys that, you know, that, you know, Daniel says five guys maybe in the top 50 of the draft. We'll see. Maybe maybe three or four in the first round. Um, you're going to get very varying evaluations of these guys. Yeah. Um, different strokes are different. Plus, folks. like you said, is it a Shanahan offense? Is it a... Is it a, you know, uh, a Buffalo offense? Is it a Jet offense? Who's running the offense? Who's who's you know who's calling the plays? And that has a lot to do with what they're going to ask that tight end to do. So um, there's a lot in that position. It's always been a little bit of an enigma for people outside the, the sport, particularly got me, the best guys to ask are guys who play it or have played it and coached it, um, because the rest of us kind of guess at what they want that guy to do on any given down. And the other thing, and we, we got to take a break here, but the other thing is, and you heard Daniel Jeremiah just say in our interview with him, if he was a quarterback, and he played quarterback in college at App State, and he had a choice between a receiver and a game-breaking tight end, he'll take the game-breaking tight end, probably because it's more high-efficiency passing anyway. So we can get into that when we have a little bit more time a little bit later on in the show. We take a break here because when we come back, We've got Bills head coach Sean McDermott coming your way. His discussion on how the coaching decision with Leslie Frazier deciding to step away for a year came down and the new additions to his staff. All of that coming your way next here on One Bills Live, presented by Collider Health. It's Buffalo Bills Radio. Welcome back to One Bills Live. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker with you here at the NFL Combine in Indianapolis. Pleased to be joined by Bills head coach Sean McDermott. Busy week. Just getting started here, coach. How you doing? You doing okay? Yeah, we're doing well. Doing well. How are you? Doing well. Uh, obviously, there was some news on the coaching front, so maybe just lay out for us how you guys kind of came to the decision with, with Coach Frazier. Well, it was a decision that, um, you know, was, uh, you know, brought upon by Leslie and, and he, he wants to take a year off. And, and so he's done a really good job with mm -hmm. our defense and um, the seasons get long and uh, <laughs> they get long. And as you guys know, as a player and, and as a coach, I mean, they're, they're not easy and, and for anyone, staff included. So, um, you know, this is something that he wants to do and, and uh, we support him through it. What does that mean, you know, as it, with the least behind, certainly a great staff there now in place. Um, how do you share that role or fill that role going forward? I know yeah. it's early, but I don't know. Yeah, it is early. Um, so, you know, we're going to continue to evaluate it. We st we've started to do that. Um, feel very confident about the, the coaches we have in-house. Uh, we've added to that group this offseason with Al Holcomb and Joe Dana, and I uh, feel good about those two as well. So um, very confident in the group we have in-house, and, and we'll evaluate uh, one day at a time as we move forward here. Right. On the offensive side of the ball, you also added Adam Henry at, right. as a receivers coach. He's got experience both at the pro level and the college level. I'm just kind of curious, what was so attractive to you about his skill set? You, know, um, you know, most of the most of the coaches that I've hired, that we've hired, I've, I've been around maybe in some capacity before. Um, uh, in, in this case, I, I haven't been around Adam, 
um, before. And, and so I was, what I was pleased to see as, as we did our research was how he's worked with you know, the top shelf receivers, but he's also worked and developed um, some of the, the lesser known names, if you will, okay. um, who have gone on to do good things. And so I think developing players is huge, and, and we've talked about that quite a bit, and he has a record of doing that. Um, and, uh, and he comes well recommended from um, both, both pro coaches as well as, as well as college coaches. Yeah, and that's always been kind of the hallmark of your staff. You've gotten guys in here that, um, and, and every rookie, every young player needs to, some development in some way, right. shape, or form. And certainly um, your young guys, even this last year with Christian Benford, Kyir Elam at the top of the list, along with Cook, and, uh, and the, those guys, they need work when they come in. Shakir, uh, it's been the hallmark of your staff to start those guys slow and bring them along, and then by the time they get to the field, they're really ready. In fact, you know, you had the luxury with because of your veterans to, to take it slower this year with your young players. Does that does that change? Is the is the does your philosophy there change, or how does that you know give us another yeah. insight as to your mindset about those young players yeah. and their development? Well, it's it's got to be earned. I think regardless of where you are as a team, it has to be earned. Um, we we had a veteran team last season uh, to to some extent at most positions, maybe not all. Um, and it's and it's um, you're never going to have that at every position but um, players have to earn everything they get and 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 that being said uh, there needs to be a uh, uh, not only a development of, of young talent but also these young players more and more playing early and us getting a feel for what they can do and um, I mean you see that we've done that before but then you also see it throughout the throughout the league yeah. You know, in particular with sometimes what situation a club may be in right. uh, with salary cap or, or what have you, so or injuries. So, um, you know, I feel I feel like coming out of the season, one of the positives um, was that some of our young players got quality time and, and they showed us what they could do. And now you can kind of lean on that. They can lean on that. Um, the confidence that should come from that as they go into into their offseason here. Right. Coach. The defense ranked seventh in third down defense, top ten ranking, good showing. There were a couple of downs and distances, though, that Steve and I were dicing up one day, third and four, third and five, for example. Those two down and distances combined against the pass. The conversion rate, at least from the league stats, by your opponents was right around 59%. I know that's not a number. That's up to your standards. So I'm just kind of curious, and you don't have to get into the nuts and bolts of the process, but how you kind of dive into that with your coaching staff and say, how do we make this figure far lower next season? Is it scheme-oriented or is it more personnel? I'm just kind of curious how that gets all yeah. diced up to make it better next year. Well, when you, try, when you evaluate, usually there's two branches of it or two legs. You say, hey, how much of it is scheme? How much of it is player? Um, and, and, you, and you try and look at it objectively and say, what can we do better um, schematically, and then do we have the, the right players? And I would say that, um, you know, it's never just one or the other. Right. It's, it's usually a combination. And, and so feel good about our players. Um, do we need to, to improve in some of those areas? Yes, no doubt about it. Um, and I know Brandon and his staff work hard at that as well. And uh, schematically, a year ago, I believe we were the, the top defense Number on one. third down. Mm -hmm. um, so, but you dive back in every offseason, and you, and you start from – from the ground and work your way up and 
Um, I mean, third down, anytime you can get a team into third down, that's a good thing. Yes. Um, now, you'd love it to be third and seven plus. Um, but even there, we weren't great this year, um, third and 11 plus. So just uh, you got to start over and, and, and find out um, the what, the why, and the how, and, and, um, and come back this year with a, with a better approach. So you get in there in your roster, you got all these guys that are free agents. You got 22 unrestricted free agents, a couple restricted free agents. It's, it's, a, it's a lot of turnover. And we look, went back and looked. It's not all that different from where you were a year ago. You still had, you know, they had those guys. You had about that many guys that you maybe anticipated going to be that much of a turnover this coming, this last year. Right. You end up going 13 and three. You have a really nice regular season. All of that stuff going on. So here we are again, and you're at the draft. And you know, so how do you get your mind around? I mean, and this is what you, I guess a head coach is all about. You got to build a team from scratch every, just like you right. said. You got to go back and dive in. Is that, like, the good part about it, or is that the <laughs> tedious part about it? Because, you know, you just get this, this team humming along, um, and, you know, now you got to you know, you tear Carry a piano and, up the flight of stairs yeah. again. Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> I mean, you got to tear it down to the studs again. Right. And no, I think, I think that's the, not to interrupt, Steve, but I think that's the exciting part about it is, uh, you know, the game changes a little bit every year, mm-hmm. and, and you have to change with it. You've got to evolve and, and be cutting edge and do the research necessary to be cutting edge, offensively, defensively, and special teams. And, and that's, to me, the, uh, the cool part about our, our, our profession is if you don't continue to evolve, um, you're not going to be able to sustain the success that we've been uh, successful doing. And, and, um, but, and, then it's, and then the personnel side is we're out here in Indy with the, with the draft prospects and the free agency that's coming uh, that's around the corner for mm-hmm. us. I think that's just, yeah, you build your team every year. Um, the culture and some of your core values may not change necessarily, right. but uh, the people certainly change to some extent. And then how you do things, you're always looking for different ways to do things and, and grow and evolve. And listen, we came up short. Even though we were 13-3 and three and had a, had a great season, we came up short in terms of accomplishing our ultimate goal. Uh, but we try and be forward-looking forward, forward looking and thinking, and, and I think that's key in this situation. Third year, just getting back a little bit to player development. You've got third-year players over the course of your tenure here in Buffalo that have really kind of taken off in year three. Dawson Knox is an example. Taron Johnson in his third year really kind of took off on a high-ascending trajectory. You've got Spencer Brown and Greg Rousseau, probably two of your more prominent third-year players coming into this year. What is it about the third season where players just kind of take off the runway and they're going? I don't know what, I mean, maybe you can shed some light on why it seems to be year three that seems to be so profitable for players here. Yeah, I think, Chris, it really comes back to time. It used to be under the old rules that we had more time with the players both uh, for sure in the offseason. And now that time has been greatly reduced. So time on task, like anything, comes into play so that it used to be year two was the litmus test of can the player do X, Y, and Z? Um, and now it's, hey, we need to give them until year three to really see who they are as a player. Okay. And, and so I think that, I think that works, uh, and, and that's why we're seeing that trend develop. Okay, so you, you come into this week, and you, know, you don't really know where your roster is going to be in, in a month and a half when this draft happens or two months when this draft happens because there's free agency that's going to happen. you got... Some restructures, you got to get your financials in order. All this stuff's got to happen before you really draft these guys. So, really, you want to get to the spot where the best guy is the guy you get, right? Hopefully. 
right. best guy on the board that's going to be the best pro is the one you want to be able to take. So if that's the case, what is your mindset going in? Because you're, I mean, you may be talking to you know, defensive end or offensive guard, offensive tackle, running back. You know, you might, you never know where that guy might turn up. So what is your philosophy about find when you sit down with these guys in these interviews, which are so important? What's I think you know, and, and and again, going back to the question about building a team every year, I think you know what you're looking for, and it, it may stay the same, and some of it changes just a little bit based on who you have around that that vacant spot, so to speak, or that need. And so, you know, you're, you're looking out there for, with, I don't want to show our hand in terms of what we value, but you're looking for football players at the end of the day. This is the game of football. It's not track. Um, and, and so we're looking for the best football players that we can find at every position and players that... Um, you know, typically are, are possess really good instincts because there's a lot out there that you try and coach, but there's also a lot that they're going to have to fill the gaps on some things from time to time on some unseen or unscouted looks. And um, so football instincts are a big part of it. Right. Your offense was highly efficient at the start of the year. Then there were some giant plays happening in the passing game in week five against the Steelers, balls flying all over the place. And then it seemed like in the second half of the season, being that efficient on offense seemed to be a heavier lift. And then we saw, and I know you guys like to stay on top of trends or ahead of them if possible, we saw a lot of the AFC teams choose efficiency to stay on the field, finish drives, go shorter passing. Um, I'm not going to ask you what you think is the best course of action for you guys, but how do you come around to making a decision like we should do that too or no, we're going to pivot and we're going to do this instead? Yeah. Well, it's again, it's the research, it's where the game is and how it's evolving and um, you know, listen, we did a lot of good things on offense last year. Um, that said, there certainly is room for us to adjust and make improvements, and we have to be open to doing that and, and, and then do our work around that. We have the one thing we know is we have a franchise quarterback, and there's not, a, not every team can say that and right. answer that question affirmatively with a yes, and we do. And when you can lead the league in third downs and two-minute um, and, and how Josh led the league in terms of, extending plays and the efficiency around that when he when he extended the plays those are really good areas there's a lot of people that cannot answer yes to those to those areas but there are other areas that we need to to round out if you will for us to become the football team that we're trying to become and, and I'm confident in coach Dorsey and our offensive staff extremely confident in them in fact um, that we will do that this year Coach, thanks. I appreciate it. Have a great week, and I appreciate you coming by. Great to see you guys. Thanks yeah. for having me. Good luck getting your work done this week. That'll do it with head coach Sean McDermott here on One Bills Live. We'll take a break and be back with more. Stay tuned. All right, welcome back to One Bills Live. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker, live at the NFL Combine here in Indianapolis. Day one just about in the books here. I think we learned a few things today. I think we learned that Brandon Bean, even though Bills fans might be completely consumed with the team getting a receiver in the draft, let alone in free agency, that what Brandon Bean is looking for is an offensive playmaker who can create a mismatch. He referenced right. James Cook as an example last year in the draft. I think with the tight end class in this year's draft, it could very easily be a tight end and not a receiver. Yeah, and I'll say this too. You think about how Brandon Bean gets this. That, you know, 
in all these teams, the, the GM is the guy that picks the 53. He brings the, he signs the 80 guys, they, and they would come down. He says, all right, this guy's in, this guy's out. And, and certainly the guys that are sitting at the table with him are Sean McDermott, Ken Dorsey, Leslie Frazier, in this case, whoever's going to be. But the, it's the coaching staff that says, we need this kind of place. Yeah. And Ken Dorsey's sitting there going, I don't, what, give me somebody who can win. And Brandon Bean echoes that. He said, all right, does it matter? If, do you need to have to be a wide receiver? Can it be a tight end? Or he said, yes, fine. Give me the, you know. And the and Ken Dorsey signs off on it and says, yeah, let me look at the guy. Let's talk about the guy. And so those guys come on the list, and, and Brandon Bean says, hey, this guy may be available, or this tight end or this wide out, what do you think? He says, well, if it, and that's all the meetings leading up to it. So if it comes down to that, I'd rather have the tight end. Those kind of conversations happen constantly. So Brandon Bean knows the guys. Ken Dorsey, Leslie Frazier, Sean McDermott know the needs. And Brandon fills those needs with the guys. The other thing we learned today is that the draft is very deep at edge rusher. It's very deep at cornerback. It's supremely talented at tight end. Beyond that, though, the other positions aren't quite as deep and I think the other good news we got today Steve was where the Bills are picking at 27 according to Daniel Jeremiah the value figures to be very good at two need positions receiver and interior, interior offensive line. line that's good news yeah it really is uh, they're gonna they're gonna get a guy who under normal circumstances and the way this thing is turned out over the years they get a guy they expect to be plugged in and, and taking snaps day one on on week one of his rookie season a plug and play type of quality player that's that's what you're looking at now you know they have to earn it and we heard sean reiterate that today um the bills are more hesitant to throw those guys in there until they've done something to warrant it right but picking a guy at the spot they're picking yeah they can have every expectation he's going to be pretty but I, and and i i'll say it again with where they are in their build and where their cap situation currently sits. Cheap labor is important. They need cheap labor <laughs> yeah. on the roster. And starting this year, they may need that cheap labor that's also on inexperienced on the field. Yeah. We saw it in Kansas City. Another like thing too, their cap yeah. situation got compromised because the big money started hitting their cap on Mahomes' contract. They said the goodbye first to three, one of the great players in the league. Right, because he wanted $30 million a year at receiver. And they said, oh, we can't hack that because Mahomes' quarterback contract is really starting to hit the big money years now. Yeah. So, Tyreek, thanks for coming. Let's sign Smith-Schuster on a one-year deal. And Let's sign this guy on a one-year deal. That's why their rookies were forced into action this year as opposed to years past. Sky Moore on the field that's at right. receiver. Josh Williams, Jalen Watson, and Trent, uh, Trent McDuffie, McDuffie yeah. all on the field in the secondary. And Isaiah Pacheco. And I'll say this, too. One other thing we learned in, in talking to Sean, that they are all the things that the warts that we saw on their offense from week-to-week -week basis, there wasn't really thing outstanding. There was some of that deep-down stuff, like on third and four, they weren't too good against the Pat, that kind of stuff. But Sean McDermott, through his answers to our questions, man, you get the idea that they are on it. They are tearing it apart play-by-play, situation-by-situation, and getting better everywhere. Uh, and white and kind of cleaning off the warts of it, trying to be a whole well-rounded offense with the ability to beat teams in a variety of different ways. Um, they have seen their own warts, and they're taking action to get rid of them. And 
and they've got a plan to do that. That's, that's kind of reassuring as yeah. well. We had a big show today. We've got another one on tap tomorrow. Coming your way, Chargers general manager Tom Telesco, Hamburg, Hamburg, New York native. So we'll catch up with him as his team made the playoffs last year, but they have some new coaches on their staff. We'll get into that with him tomorrow. And we also have from the NFL Network, and there's another guy that's been crunching tape, one Charles Davis to help us. So, So yeah, that's – we're going to have – like I said, we're drinking out of a fire hose here. Everybody in the NFL is here. It's a lot of fun. And plus, there's no there's no scoreboard this week. So none of these guys are dodging questions or, you know, got their guard up and yeah, no thank youing. So it's nice to get a chance to talk to guys. A uh, bunch of head coaches walking around here in Radio Row today, most of them, like Sean, coming to their own hometown yeah. stations to touch base with their hometown fans. And it's, uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. We've got a lot of stuff going on this week, and we're going to be here with you one to three every day to, to cover it. Yeah, I mean, I look at what we could see from the Chargers this coming season because they're an opponent for the Bills this year on the road out in L.A. Right. And, you know, where that falls in the schedule, we'll find out in late April, early May. Right. But they've got, you know, a really good roster. But what's going to happen with Keenan Allen? Is he going to be a cap casualty? What's going to happen with – uh, Khalil Mack, are they going to draft a new edge rusher and maybe right. throw him overboard? Do they have some decisions, tough decisions that they have to make? So there's a lot there for him. I, I think it's interesting just across the entire league how many of these teams have to get cap compliant. Yeah, because you kind of get, we're, and you and I here always say it, we, we're Bills focused, but they're, every team in the league are going to have issues like the Bills do, either over the cap or they've got significant players yeah. they're going to have to do something with or just outright release. Uh, just before free agency and at the league calendar, they're going to be a problems. We'll see you tomorrow here at 1.